Praise the Lord, you guys. Good to see you. Uh, we have an awesome God, and it's great to be back. We had a trip to one of our uh, home uh, live stream groups in Idaho last week, so I miss you guys. Uh, I know you always be blessed when I'm gone as well, because we have great leadership here. Uh, so I was, but I try not to leave too much. I'm not, I don't want to be one of those pastors that's gone a lot from the pulpit. Uh, I've seen that happen, and it's not really good for churches. Uh, but we have, you know, you read the scripture, they traveled, and they ministered to the different fellowships that they were associated with. We need to do that as well. Amen. And praise the Lord for our Idaho group. You guys are awesome. Uh, it, was, it was a trip, because you get to see people that used to go here that had moved to Idaho. Uh, in fact, some of them are here right now. There's Peggy. Uh, Austin, Jesse, Peyton, and Kenny over there. Peyton hasn't left yet. She's still here. So we're playing tug of war right now with her. So her arms are out of joint almost, you know. Just kidding. Uh, am I missing any Idahoans? I don't see her here today. Did she make it? You are here way over there. Good to see you, Mom. <laughs> uh, and then I see Patty over there and Megan. And wow. And Anybody, and Robbie, praise the Lord. Robbie played drums. Did he, how was that? Did he cut it? Did he get the job? Robbie, you're coming back, it sounds like. Just kidding, bro. No, no comment, Robbie. <laughs> oh, he said if the Bears became a team over here, then he'd come and root for him. So <laughs> thanks, Robbie, for, for leading worship all those years with the team. It was a huge blessing. And it's great to have you back, um, even if it's temporary. <laughs> It's beautiful out there, by the way. We had a great time. Uh, and it's, it's weird because you're seeing also people that you hadn't seen for, I mean, I met, saw a guy named Jimmy Castaneda who grew up in my neighborhood and we're all stoners together back before we got saved. And he was more my brother's age. He's like a year and a half younger than me. But uh, Tom hung with him. But I knew, I knew him and uh, his sister Bonnie. And, and him and his wife and, and a couple of their children are there and boys and awesome. And I was like, wow, man. And he, we were talking about, wow, the old days and how great it is to be saved now. And just seeing that group grow, uh, like some of our other groups, uh, we'll be hopefully, hopefully visiting our three uh, fellowship, home, uh, live stream fellowships in New York later this year. That's, our, that's what they're trying to set up, and we're trying to set up with them. That'll be beautiful as well. So pray for all of our extended brothers and sisters. God's doing a work over in Mexico right now at our Blessed Hope Mexico uh, Jonathan is always in communication, and Nathan is over there, uh, been there for, wow, a few months or so, about five months has it been, something like that, and he's going to stay there a little longer. Josiah was there for a couple weeks, and then he came back for a wedding, and then he's going back uh, today, I think he already probably left, or right around now, back for a little bit, uh, and they're just doing a great work there, and Josiah said, the building that we all built, he said, you wouldn't even recognize it now, it's like, you know. Land's all flattened, and it just looks great. And they're getting a lot of people, and they're leading people to the Lord, and just great things happening. So praise the Lord. Uh, wow. Well, we live in a dark time, guys. A lot of confusion. People have had a lot of questions. Uh, we have dealt with it. It'll be on our podcast, Israel, Hamas, Bible prophecy, and so forth. But I wanted to give an update for the congregation itself, because I know not everybody gets to hear the, uh, our podcast and so forth. And uh, I'll say some different things, definitely, in this message that I said in that I said in the podcast, but uh, as you've not known, I mean, just, they just had a ceasefire, but Netanyahu just came out and said, if just one missile comes over, and there's, they were rained, there's like 4,000 or so missiles raining down, 4,000 or so missiles raining down from Hamas, and 
in the land of Gaza, mostly two on Israel. And millions of Jews scurrying, millions to bomb shelters, you know, carrying their little kids and the disabled and the trauma that they were going through, initiated by, of course, Hamas. Uh, Israel isn't like, oh, let's just, and it's so ridiculous, you know, uh, when you look at some of the narrative by the liberals and the progressives who want us to believe that, you know, Israel wants to just destroy people. When Israel, I was talking to an officer over there in one of our trips to Israel, and this former officer, he said to me, Joe, he goes, you know what would happen if Israel or the, all the bordering nations around Israel, all the Muslim nations around Israel, dropped their borders and their protections from Israel? You know what would happen? N- nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because we're not aggressive. We're not trying to hurt anybody. You know? In fact, you could be a Muslim and in the, 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 uh, that's the uh, so it's equivalent to like our Senate, you know? In Israel, there are a lot, there's Arabs, you know, and you can practice whatever faith you are, you know. You can't do that in the Muslim countries, a lot of them. You know that, right? He said, nothing would happen because we're not aggressive toward them. But he goes, you know what would happen if Israel dropped our defenses? Overnight, we'd be destroyed. That tells you not all you need to hear, but a lot of what you need to understand. Uh, and the Hamas is a terrorist organization, They've been designated a terrorist organization by not only the United States of America, and I was just on a United States website uh, on the Bureau of Terrorism and so forth, and looking at that this morning again, they're still designated as, and they have since the late uh, 1900s, uh, been designated as a terrorist organization, and they're hostile. Even the European Union, which is liberal, uh, 27 nations designate Hamas as a terrorist organization, and Hamas runs Gaza. And they took it over from the Palestinian Authority some years ago. And not that the Palestinian Authority was much different, uh, but Hamas's charter stated directly uh, the day after they became, you know, official as an organization, uh, they called for the destruction of Israel. And over and over and over and over again, they've called for the destruction of Israel and the annihilation of Jews. It's like the Nazis today, you know? And uh, can you imagine the Nazis, you know, sending missiles into your land and people saying, oh, and then they're, they're cowards because they hide, the, the leaders of Hamas hide behind, they get a bunch of kids together and women behind human shields. That's wicked. As though you can't fight back. And you know, when Hamas, they, they indiscriminately just fire missiles to kill civilians everywhere. Israel gives people warnings, move out before we destroy this building. There's bombs that actually, that, those bombs, there's leaflets that are dropped. There's, uh, there's actually, uh, in you know, Arabic and different languages, uh, sound that projects to move out long before the bombs hit. But you don't hear a lot about that in the news, do you? You don't. And Hamas knows that all they have to do is show some pictures of some kids that have been killed in a war that they started in shields that they've created, and then the media will run with it because they love the drama. And they love lies. They love to stir up uh, lies. We've seen that through this whole last year, you know. Uh, last, last, this part of the last year and the year, last year, we've seen a lot of the, the, the rioting and stuff and things that were actually used to create racial hatred instead of love between neighbors. Hatred. 
uh, we're seeing these things go on again. So, yeah, it was in their 1988 charter they called for this. David Keyes, a spokesman for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, said, quote, Daily, Hamas leaders call for genocide of all Jews and the destruction of Israel, you know. So when Trump was in office, they amended their charter, you know, a little bit because they realized they're under some, you know, bad press uh, to no longer call for the destruction of Israel and the annihilation of the Jews, but their leaders continue to speak that way. So it's quite interesting. And if you go, to, uh, they're designated by the Foreign Terrorist Organization, Bureau of Counterterrorism in the U.S. as a terrorist organization. Now, it's interesting because we need to make sense of this. We need to ha have an understanding of this. And it's also important for you to understand, I've heard it, it's been reported on like the Daily Show. Oh, well, you know, uh, the Jews took away the, the, Hama uh, the you know, Gaza's right to, and the Palestinians in Gaza, their right to self-govern. And by the way, biblically, the land, that land and the land in the West Bank, and the land way beyond the West Bank into the Jordan and throughout from the big great rivers, I can show you in the scripture, were promised Israel. They're in a small sliver of the land that they were given by God. And what really matters is not what I think, what you think, what somebody else thinks, it's what God says, you know, what the Lord God says, the creator of all things. And by the way, Israel is about the size of New Jersey right now, and it's surrounded by a huge landmass of different Muslim nations, yet they're supposed to be destroyed. But you've got to realize there's a spiritual war here. It's more than just, you know, there's a spiritual war, and you have to understand that. And how does this puzzle fit together? Well, praise God, we do have the light of his word. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, so we can get an understanding of what he says about these things. Now, it's important to understand that uh, it's not disputed, <laughs> uh, unless it's by people that deny, like, the Holocaust, too, you know? A lot of Muslims will deny the Holocaust even happened because a lot of them hate Jews. And we love Muslims. We pray for them. Jesus died for them. We want them to know the true Jesus. Amen? But uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fact. The Jewish people didn't just arise from a bunch of different countries at once. They had a homeland in the land of Israel. The Temple Mount is still there. I've been there several times, and you see the history of Israel all over the place. And if anybody's been to Israel, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's, it's amazing. But they were vanquished about 2,000 years ago almost by the Romans and dispersed throughout the nations, as Jesus said they would be after they rejected him as the Messiah. And there, he said not one stone would be lying on the temple. And that was thrown down. We go visit the Temple Mount. There's no stones in the original temple there now. Got the Temple Mount. You know, the stones that had once made it, some of them are still there. I mean, it's huge. And there's the Western Wall where people are, the Jews are praying for the rebuilding of, of uh, the, the temple and so forth. And, and you go up on the Temple Mount, and you can't, you, you go on the Temple Mount, Jews typically don't go up there because it's run by Muslims because they have the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Okay? And you're not allowed to bring your Bible up there. We bring our Bible up there. Anyway, we sneak them up and read the Word. Look, this is in prophecy, you know? And it's, it's all part of this puzzle when you start to see what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God says that the temple will be rebuilt, and it says the Antichrist will sit in the temple, show himself that he is God. And the Antichrist doctrine, it says in 1 John chapter 2, it says, who is the Antichrist but the one that denies the Father and the Son? That's what Islam denies. And Satan wanted to be like the Most High God, right? He said he was sent to the heaven, Isaiah chapter 14, and he wanted to be worshipped. I'll be like the most high God. 
He's cast down. But he still wants to be worshipped. So the closest place to be worshipped is the place that God has designated in Israel, in the temple. Originally, as far as the place to be worshipped in Israel, was on the Temple Mount there in Moriah. Now it's everywhere because Jesus says those who worship in spirit truth can be anywhere, right? But that was the place that was localized. And that became years after the Old and New Testament canons were done, finished, and Islam arose hundreds of years later, over half a millennia later, they designated that as their third most holy place eventually. And they want that place for worship. And it's Antichrist. You know why? Because Muhammad got visions from an entity that he felt was a demon. He felt he was demon-possessed. The top writers of Islam acknowledged that he was suicidal and he felt he was demon-possessed until his wife said, no, it's the angel Gabriel. And of course, this angel Gabriel supposedly told him, you know, that he was starting this new religion through him and getting rid of all the, uh, you know, the idolatry around them and so forth. And, and well, guess what? The Bible warns about spirit of Antichrist. We know it's spirit of Antichrist because who denies the Father and Son is Antichrist. And Muhammad denied that God is a father. And he called him Allah. That's a different God. And he denied that he has a son. And on the Temple Mount, on the Dome of the Rock, in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, it's inscribed in Arabic, Allah is God and he has no son. That's not an accident, you guys. That's the very thing the Bible says would come. So it's important that we understand there's a spiritual war because now Satan wants that place. And one day, what we call the, what Jesus called the abomination of desolation. Daniel called the abomination of desolation more than once as well. Is the Antichrist who sit in the temple of God just calling to be worshipped as God. And the Bible tells us that Israel and this is important, would be the most hostile and fought over piece of real estate on the earth in the end times. And we're told in Isaiah or Zechariah chapter 12 that in the end times, the Lord says, I will make Israel and Jerusalem, he says specifically, a cup of trembling to the world and a burdensome stone and whoever touches it will be severely injured. And this little tiny nation who wasn't a nation for almost 2,000 years became a nation again is now on the world stage. I mean, it's a blow mind. And it's the most contested piece of real estate. I mean, Donald Trump, who wrote The Art of the Deal, the real estate dude, right? Then became president. He tried to bring peace to Israel. <laughs> Come on, you're a real estate dude. Settle the deal. No, don't settle the deal. And by settling the deal, he wanted them to move to a two-state solution. And that's what Clinton, Obama, and Clinton did before him, and Bush, they all been trying that, and the New World Order and all that. Although Trump is definitely more of a nationalist and more, you know, the America first guy, you know, but I'm just saying as far as messing with Israel, if you try to take away their land, Joel chapter 2 says when the Lord comes back at the second coming, those who have divided up his land will be severely judged by him. Okay? So while these different leaders, I mean, Obama, he was literally in Reverend Wright's church. Reverend Wright had visited Farrakhan, who's claimed to be the Messiah, and he went to the Middle East, and they had in their bulletin at Reverend Wright's church when Obama was there, Hamas's charter. I mean, what in the world, guys? We're living in crazy times. And now we got progressives in the Biden party who want the overthrow, would love to see the overthrow of Israel. And you have... AOC and others speaking of, oh, look what they're doing to 
Hamas and the wicked terrorist organization. Oh, no, they don't say the wicked terrorist organization. They just you know, use the, 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 you know, they try to post up some victims and say it's an unfair war and so forth. You know what? If you could find, bro, I should have told you before, I wasn't, a lot of things I don't have in my notes, and I'm not sure if I'm going to share or not. And if you could just Google Jonathan, I would love it, or just go to YouTube and see if you can find a short snippet of Joan Rivers, Joan Rivers of all people to quote, right? Uh, on, 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 on Israel Hamas or Israel Palestinian conflict. And it's just, it, there might be a minute or two long. I just heard her not too long ago, and I was like, she's been dead for a few years, so we're not bringing her back from the dead. It's just something she said before she died. But it's kind of interesting because she's speaking of that conflict, and she's saying, well, what do you think? And if you can't find it, it'll be a minute long. If you can listen to it with headphones or so forth, she's comparing it to New Jersey and New York. And it'll be just like a 45-second snippet. If you find it, great. If not, I'll just say, tell you what she said. Because I thought, that's just from a secular Jew's vantage point who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know the prophecies, and she still gets it as far as how ridiculous it is to blame Israel for defending themselves. I thought, that's crazy, man. That's so obvious. But keep in mind, do you know Hamas is running what the Palestinians were running, Gaza, which is a small strip, uh, but did you know that the Turks were running that area for hundreds of years, 400 years during the Ottoman Turkish Empire? You know Hamas, you know the Palestinians in that area of the world? They didn't have self-governing authority. Then the Brits whooped the rear ends of the Ottoman Empire in the early 1900s. I'm sorry. Uh, for, they, they ruled for quite a while until after, you know, the world wars had started and then... Uh, they, they, eventually Israel was brought back in the land. But under, under Egypt as well, they ruled that area for a while. Under the Ottoman Empire, the Turks, under Egypt, under the Brits, those, the, the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip were never able to self-govern. Guess what Israel did? They pulled their own, not only their military, out of what is historically their land, but their settlements out, and they allowed them to self-govern. That hasn't happened in history. They were never a sovereign state. Israel was a sovereign state. That was their land for years and years and years. And a lot of people just don't know the history, you know. And a lot of them even admit that a lot of the people that live in that land came from Jordan and other areas around the world. Muslims, just like immigrants, come from different places to here to find work. Well, Israel started booming. Most, most blessed land. In a, in a minute, thanks so much, bro. The most blessed uh, group of people... Uh, in, in the, well, God's brought him back in the land. He's fulfilled his promise. He made, said he'd make them eat again, like, like eating again. And they're flourishing. So people came from all over the place. And guess what? When the Palestinians were saying that the gas prices should be dropped by Jordan and Egypt or you know, whoever's giving them gas, the leaders said, you're not even from there originally. You came from here, you know? They let their guard down and said, the, what a lot of people know is a lot of those folks came. Now, some were native to the, to, to the area for some generations, just like Jews have been there for generations, by the way, since before 2,000 years ago. There are always some Jews in the land as well. But guess what? I try to tell people, do you realize before 1948 and Israel became a nation again, May 14, 1948, that the Palestinian orchestra before that was all Jewish musicians? The Palestinian Post was a Jewish newspaper, okay? 
Uh, so a lot of times people just don't have a sense of history, and they just think the Jews moved in and just said, oh, leave. And in fact, guess what happened? In 1948, when they were brought in under the United Nations because world, on the aftermath of World War II, finally the nation of the world became sympathetic toward the Jewish people because they're almost annihilated, right? But God used all these things and brought them into the land. But guess what? It wasn't until 1967, and I don't have time because I, I'm not, I want to get into my notes and stuff that I, I wanted to say for sure, but trying to give you historical context, they actually had half of Jerusalem almost. They actually, there was a two-state solution proposed for them, but they didn't want it. They could have taken it any time, but they didn't. And I'm not saying that would be good because you shouldn't divide up God's land, and the Bible warns about the nations divide up his land, so... God didn't allow that at that time, but it'll be during the time of the Antichrist where there'll be a peace treaty made for seven years. In the middle of that seven years, then the Antichrist will sit himself in the temple of God and bring an, an end to the Tamid sacrifice, which we'll get into another time, which is really heavy. whole prophetic thing, it pictures Jesus and everything was destroyed, uh, will be destroyed under the Antichrist. So uh, how long is that clip, bro? Okay, let's, let's listen to it. Hopefully there's no bad language. I'll try to go bleep. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I heard it. On, maybe somebody bleeps something out. I don't know. Hopefully not. Celebrity reactions to what's going on with the Palestinians and Israelis right now. Let me just tell you, if New Jersey were firing rockets into New York, we would wipe them out. I am so bored. If we heard they were digging tunnels from New Jersey to New York, we would get rid of Jersey. So I don't want to hear anymore. Oh, we'll do a partial truce. And Palestinians, you cannot throw rockets and expect people not to defend themselves. What about the civilian casualties? Then don't put your goddamn things oh, in private sorry. homes. Didn't know that was coming. I'm sorry. Don't don't you dare put weapon stashes in, in, in private homes and then we say get out. Of, of course we're gonna do it. The response normally is where the where are the civilians supposed to go? I don't care. They started it. It is you're all insane. They started it. What are you all saying? They started it. The Israelis did not throw their, for, for months this has been going on. How do you what are you supposed to how do? You, how do you resolve it? How do I know? Because I have been over there. That's how I know. And I wish the world would know. And BBC should be ashamed of themselves. And CNN should be ashamed of themselves. And everybody, stop it already. You know, like uh, Dwight Howard tweeted, Free Palestine took it back. Selena Gomez tweeted uh, a pro-Gaza. Oh, Selena yeah, Gomez. Oh, yeah, that college grad. <laughs> 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 I didn't hear that part, so that was funny, you know. I thought I was TMZ, let's see, it'll, I'm sure it'll, uh, anyway, <laughs> that was new. I just heard a little snippet of that thing. But you see the frustration, and now Hollywood is okay with CNN and MSNBC and, you know, all the liberal, because they're very liberal, right? But she's from Israel, and she, and then she, her eyes are open, like, wow, they should be ashamed of themselves. They're liars. They don't give the context. And it's like, it's that way in a lot of areas of, of what's reported. But uh, it's quite interesting when, and it's, you see her frustrated, but you see that she doesn't even understand the full picture, but she sees it's not even logical. What do you, you know, she compares Jersey, New York. What if we were just, you know, what if Mexico started lopping 4,000 missiles on us, right? Would we say, oh, it's unfair if we respond. Let's just wait till we all die. No, that would be ridiculous. Now, <laughs> Uh, that was a few years back. It was, uh, you know, uh, you could tell that when they mentioned the Selena Gomez. But the same problems persist. 
And it's important that we understand it from a, have a historical context. And so that's why we're going to go. But I want you to understand this mentality exists in the church. Professing Christian leaders are calling for an end of Israel or not to be protected, you know, is uh, U.S. not to be any kind of an ally to Israel, uh, uh, you know, that God's done with Israel, that the church has replaced Israel, that Israel is, God's done with Israel, it's over since they rejected the Messiah. That is absolutely, absolutely unbiblical and grieves the heart of God, those lies. In fact, a Lutheran writer, Don Matzat, and Don Matzat wrote a book I bought years ago called Christ's Esteem, Not Self-Esteem. And it was one of many books I bought that was against the integration of so-called, you know, Christian psychology with secular psychology or the Bible with, uh, with secular humanistic psychology. And it was actually a good book. And he did a good job. And I thought, oh, it's interesting. He's a Lutheran leader. You don't usually see Lutheran leaders writing for, uh, you know, popular evangelical Christian books. And, well, unfortunately, he wrote an article called The Great Premillennial Hoax, you know, and premillennialism is the idea that Jesus Christ will come back before he establishes his thousand-year kingdom, just like it says in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. So does he realize he's calling the Bible a hoax then? He's, he would say, oh, no, that's not what I believe. I just don't believe you can understand that literally. And listen to what he writes in this article, quote, The present-day nation of Israel is no more involved in God's plans for the future than is France, England, Germany, the United States, etc. You catch that? He goes, the teaching of the New Testament is very clear. Jesus fulfilled everything pertaining to Israel and formed the new Israel, meaning the church. Jimmy, why are you shaking your head so vehemently? Because now you're laughing because it's so ridiculous. It's so unbiblical. And, you know, there's, he's probably amillennial. You know, there's a lot of amills believe there's no literal thousand-year reign. And, and, you know, prophecy, for the most part, isn't future now. You know, the, the, the tribulation, a lot of historicists in the book of Revelation, well, most of that's all fulfilled. Or preterists, full preterists pretty much have the entire book of Revelation is already fulfilled by 70 AD. Partial preterists, most of the book of Revelation was fulfilled by 70 AD. 70 AD, really? That's kind of hard to do since John didn't write the book of Revelation until the 90s, 20-some years after that. And we know that because of Domitian, uh, who was... Uh, the emperor in the 90s would banish people to different islands. And John, in the book of Revelation, says, I was, you know, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos. Why, John? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was banished there. And his disciple, Polycarp, shared with his disciple, Irenaeus, who's one of the top church fathers, that he was banished there in the 90s under Domitian. That's when the book of Revelation was written. Couldn't have been fulfilled in 70 AD. And by the way, did you ever hear about the mark of the beast being given out throughout the world in seven, or before 70 AD? No. And Jesus said, you won't see me again to Israel until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Was Israel saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in 70 AD? And it wasn't a blessing. He didn't come back and save them. They were destroyed pretty much by Rome and Titus and dispersed throughout the world just as Jesus said they would be. But that was part of the plan. In fact, even when I'm standing on the Temple Mount and I'm looking around at the, you know, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Muslims, Muslim uh, police basically up there, and you're reading prophecies. Jesus said they'd be carried off to all the world. He says they'd be brought back because he said they'd rebuild their temple eventually. But he says that the times the Gentiles would be fulfilled. And the Gentiles, we read in Revelation 11 with what Jesus said in Luke 21, would trample underfoot Jerusalem. 
And they're doing that to this day. I'm seeing the Gentiles are ruling the Temple Mount even. They're you know, trying to get this you know, peace agreement and so forth. And there's going to be a f- false peace for a while. But it's exactly what the prophecy said would happen. So I think it's very, very important. But you've had different people cast dispersion upon Israel as a nation. Martin Luther. Martin Luther said some wonderful things. He's the father of the Protestant Reformation and the re- reclamation that we're saved by grace through faith when the Roman Catholic Church was ruling with lies that you're saved through keeping the sacraments and through uh, burning off your sins in purgatory and giving indulgences and all these things. And he's a Catholic monk that came out of it. And he, he brought to force some real clear biblical truths that many people weren't reading. But at the same time, he wrote a track against the Jews because the Jews didn't receive the gospel. And he wrote some horrifying things. You know, burning down their synagogues if they don't convert, you know. Pulling out the tongues of their rabbis if they don't convert. And you know what he said? Martin Luther said, if the Jews are Abraham's descendants, because he was asked uh, if the Jews were still the children of Abraham. He said, if the Jews were Abraham's descendants, then we would expect them to be back in their own land. But do we see that? We see them living scattered and despised. Well, now we do see them back in their land. Oh, what, scattered and despised? Well, that's part of prophecy too. It says in chapter 34 through 36, 37 of Ezekiel, when they're scattered throughout the nations, they'll be despised by people. There'll be a curse and a hissing. And they'll say, these are the promised ones. Look what's happening to the land. It's laid desolate. And Martin Luther, I'm sorry, Mark Twain talked about it. Their land is being just, like, what? look at their land. There's, you can't even, it's hard to find a shrub. And he, I've read what he said before. It's really pretty powerful. When Mark Twain visited there, he says, it's hard to find any life here. It's a desolate land. It's hard to believe this was occupied and that the, the Jews lived here at one time. In fact, he said, also, if the statistics are right, the Jews constitute but one quarter of 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. I mean, it's such a small fraction of people make up the Jews. But he said, properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people. And this is before they became a nation again. He wrote this in the 1800s. He says he is as prominent on the planet as any other people and as prominent is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, uh, and abstruse learning are also very out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all ages and has done it all with his hands tied behind him. He could, be, he could be vain of himself and excuse for it. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians rose, filled the planet with sound splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passes, that passed away. The Greeks, the Romans followed and made a vast noise and they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in twilight now. And have vanished. The Jews saw them all, survived them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no doling of his alert but aggressive mind. All things are mortal, all things are mortal but the Jews, Mark Twain writes. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? That's how he ends that section. What is the secret of his immortality? Right here, guys. God would preserve them. If you cease to be a nation, it doesn't take very long when a nation ceases to be where they assimilate into other nations. God said he preserved the Jews. He gave them certain laws, 
hygiene laws and dietary laws and religious laws that would keep them distinct so it could preserve them for almost 2,000 years and bring them back into their land. Quite amazing. Now, this is what blows me away. In the book of Isaiah, and there's scores of prophecies about Israel becoming a nation again, okay? In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, he tells us, you know how to tell the difference, I'm paraphrasing the Lord, how to tell the difference between a false God and the one true God? He said the false gods, they make prophecies, and these false prophecies fail. They don't come to pass. He says this over and over again through the book of Isaiah, you know? Summon your, those who read omens and, and prophesy by the stars. They can't even save themselves, Isaiah 47, from the judgment that's coming. And he says, but you know how I prove them the one true God? He says in Isaiah 46.10, I, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Prophecy. He consistently tells us what would happen before it happens. The God that created the universe, that's pretty incredible mind, right? Okay, he can tell the future. Because he created time and space and matter, okay? The time, space, and matter that we live in this universe did not exist, you know? Now, I believe that there's time in respect to chronology. He was, he is, he is to come. God, there's things that are past and future, okay, that have been before creation, but time, as far as aging and us changing because we're subject to the elements and we live in a, uh, these flesh bodies, that's something God created and that we're subjected to. God's outside of that time-space continuum, though he entered into it in the person of Jesus Christ to enter into our sufferings to pay for our sins. Now, it's interesting when he says these things in Isaiah, one of the things he loves, he says that I love, he says uh, in Isaiah 47, 44, verse 6, from the time that I established the ancient nation, and let them declare to them the things that are coming. He talks about the past of his ancient nation Israel and the things that are coming. He says, let's hear what these false idol gods say in the prophets that, rec that represent them. Let's hear what they say about the future of my ancient nation Israel. And he pulls Israel up, the ancient nation, his ancient people, and what he's doing with them as evidence that he is God because he foretells their future. What if I told you that, you know what, Mexico is going to the, uh, Mexican people are going to be dispersed throughout the entire world. And there's going to cease to be a nation for almost 2,000 years. Then they're going to become a nation again. And then they're going to become one of the top world powers. And all the other nations around them are going to want to destroy them. And, uh, you know, and, and I started explaining all these details. You would think I was mad. You would say, no chance. Well, God did that and far more about Israel. And here we are. Here we are. Whenever you want to, whenever the enemy comes in, have God really said, tries to get you doubt his word, just say, thus saith the Lord. Amen. Because God's word is true. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11 shows that God would preserve his people. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely. So yeah, he's going to discipline his people for rejecting their Messiah and for going back into a life of sin. Because he says, when I bring you into the land after he led them out of Egypt, the land that he'd promised them to Abraham 400 years earlier, and you can go to Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 17, and you can see the Lord promises to give Abraham his descendants the land. And in chapter 17, he says, I gave this land to you and your descendants forever. Forever, as an everlasting property. Chapter 17 of Genesis. And he says to them, 
that when I bring you into the land, Deuteronomy chapter 18, I think, verses 9 through 12. When thou art come to the land which the Lord thy God shall give thee, thou shalt not learn to do the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found thee among thee anyone who practices magic, sorcerer, mediums, and so forth. And he says, because if you do those things, I'll drive you out of land even as I drove out the people before you. Because, you know, you start practicing the wickedness, like bestiality, stuff like that, that the wicked people were practicing, sacrificing their children to false gods like Moloch, you know, Baal, and so forth. I want to kick you out of my land too. But he says, guess what? I'll discipline you. And he says there would always be a remnant of believers that would be faithful to him. He said, because of my promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I'll bring you back into the land. Because it's through the Jewish people. God could have picked any of hundreds of different ethnic groups, right? Or different, I should say, you know, uh, people groups. He could have. He had to choose, choose someone to bring the Messiah, right? He chose Abraham and his descendants. He found Abraham faithful and he knew that Abraham would bring up his children after him and he'd make a covenant with them to bring forth the Messiah. And when you read chapter 12, you read chapter 17 of the book of Genesis, you read that God says it's through Abraham's descendants that the Messiah would come, the seed would come, and that all the nations would be blessed. And here we are, a Gentile nation, hundreds of millions of professing believers around the world this day worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed that came through Abraham. There's just so many prophecies that are just mind-boggling. And that was God's plan. Not that he just wanted one group of people. In fact, within Israel itself, to be an Israeli, a true Israelite, saved and stuff, you had to come to the Lord through faith. You couldn't just be born. Jesus said that God could ride children, up, children of Abraham up to the, from these stones to the Pharisees. They had to repent and get right with him. So they were just automatically chosen to be saved. They were chosen as a nation through whom Messiah would come, but like everybody else, they had to truly individually come to the Lord to be right with him and saved through faith. Amen? So this is all part of God's plan, and I make such distinctions because it's not as though God said, oh, I I love you and I'm just going to save you, but I want to kill all the Gentiles. No, it was through Abraham and his descendants that we are blessed because it's through them that the Messiah came. But Satan tried to destroy Messiah's, Abraham's descendants for a long time. Because he actually, right from the get-go with Eve, God would bring the Messiah through Eve. You have this beautiful promise in Genesis chapter chapter 3. The proto-evangelicum, which is the, uh, the, you know, some say the first presentation of the gospel. I believe you see the gospel more than once in Genesis chapter 1, by the way, if you listen to our podcast. But it's the first verbal, just blatant, boom, there's, look what's going to happen. And it says the seed of the woman would be born, and there would be the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the woman, his heel would be bruised, right? But the seed of the woman would bruise the seed of the serpent, crush his head, actually. He crushed the serpent's head. So when Jesus on the cross, he died. But it was, his heel was bruised, so to speak, because he rose again. It's a metaphor. For he wouldn't be totally annihilated. He's not gone. He rose again. In fact, his heel was bruised literally too, right? Because I've told, ta- told you before in forensic science, you know, that, that heel would be where the, 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 a bruise would appear. Because the lowest extremity of the body that's leaning against something is where the blood would coagulate and form a bruise. And that's why a forensic or criminologists will know a body's been moved because they'll say, oh, there's bruises up here. This body was once laying on this side. Somebody moved the body. So Jesus, it just blows me away. His, that prophecy that his heel would be bruised is literal and metaphorical. But guess what? Satan is going to be crushed. He already is defeated at the cross. But God allows him to exist to see who will follow who in preparation for the great judgment. But it's important to understand that in as early as Genesis, God promised the seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent. So what has Satan been trying to do ever since? Trying to destroy that seed. And when God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
Satan wanted to destroy Israel because if he could destroy the Jewish people, then the Messiah couldn't come and crush his head. Are you with me? Now he failed to do that. Herod, remember Herod? Satan inspired Herod to kill all the little babies. Not an accident. Revelation chapter 12, it talks about Satan being cast down to the earth. And it talks about how he tried to devour the, the, the child that was born from the, the woman, the man child, Jesus. But the child ascended. So that's part of the spiritual war. And I want to stop at every one of these things and have a 20-part series, but I can't. You know? But can go to those texts and everything and just dive into them. But it's heavy when you think about it. Because Satan has been trying to destroy the Israeli people. Now he couldn't stop the Messiah from coming. So guess what? If he could get prophecy to fail and destroy the Jewish people once and for all, then the prophecies would be false that the Messiah would come back and the Jewish people would be totally restored to their land. Still trying to do it. Through demonically inspired people like Adolf Hitler in the past. And we talk about how he killed 6 million Jews. It's hard to get your brain around that, really. It really is. But you know he went into 20 different nations and that he was fully demon-possessed. I have all kinds of books in Hitler and the occult in my library. I've read much on that, his history. He, was, he felt he was possessed. He was going to bring forth the man-god, he said. You know? He was into the secret societies to a degree. And the people that followed him were. And they wanted to, he wanted to annihilate every Jew. And guess what? He went into 20 different countries trying to round up Jews to exterminate them. He worked with Muslims. You could go on the internet, you go to YouTube, you could type in, uh, you know, Muslims and Hitler, and you'll see him mocking amongst the Muslims in the Middle East, and they're going like this. They want to annihilate the Jews. It's the same spirit of Antichrist. Okay? And the scriptures tell us that this would take place. In fact, go to, go to uh, Psalm 83. Psalm 83. And just go ahead and pick it up in, at verse 1. Oh God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And oh God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people. And conspire together against your treasured ones. Sound familiar? They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation. That, they, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. Iran, one of the top five world powers who we've supposedly been trying to stop from getting nukes. Well, Trump and his administration was. Others are like, hey, here's nukes and here's money, man. Let's just do it slow. And Iran, their leaders, Ayatollahs, you know, so forth, they've talked about wanting Israel to be wiped off the map of the earth. Hamas, this calls for this, it's called for the destruction of Israel over and over again. Verse 5, for they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites. Now it's interesting, Ishmaelites would be the descendants of who? Ishmael. Who was Ishmael? The son born from Hagar. And out of Hagar would come different leaders that would dwell to the east, he says, of Israel. And they would be a wild donkey kicking up against all the nations around them, which is what's happening in the Muslim world in the Middle East to this day. This is all prophecy, guys. They'd be like a wild donkey kicking up against everyone around them. And by the way, Muhammad claims to be a a descendant of Ishmael. And there's that spirit. I'm not talking about ethnicity or culturally, because praise God, there's so many beautiful, loving, wonderful Arab Christians that just love Jesus. 
Amazing people. A lot of the Arabs are just, I'm talking about a religious system that's antichrist. And God foresaw and foreknew that that spirit would pervade those who reject the one true God and hate him. It would want to destroy their people. Gebel and Ammon and, and uh, Amalek, Philistia, and the, with the inhabitants. Assyria also has joined with them. They have become a help to the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera and Jabin and the torrent of Kishon and goes on. Now it's interesting because do you know Iran and Syria are funding Hamas and they want the destruction of Israel. This is the big picture. You go to the scripture and it's like, wow, <laughs> look what the word of God says. You know, it's mind boggling. And there's a demonic hatred that people don't even know where it comes from that's spiritual in with the left, the far left, and a lot of the progressives toward Israel. And then there's these professors spewing things to students that don't know the history, don't know what God's word says. And they're, they're, they're told that Israel's an apartheid state. And when we went in our last trip to Israel, we had a great uh, family from a uh, beautiful family from South Africa. And the brother in that family, neat guy, uh, he's writing to his friends. He goes, I'm in Israel. And I'm seeing the Jews and the Arabs and everybody gets along really good. And I'm realizing there's no apartheid going on here because they have access to the leadership roles in Israel as well, and, and there's voting and all that. It's not what you see in a lot of these Muslim nations. And man, he got ridiculed by friends on, I, was it, whether it's Facebook page or whatever social media uh, venue he was using. Radically attacked, he was like, he was distraught. He goes, I can't believe it. I'm actually here letting them know this is what's going on, and they just don't want to accept it, you know. And it's because people love lies. The Bible says that would happen. So God promised that he'd preserve them. He said, I will not destroy you completely, but I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you go, let you go unpunished when he puts them in the nations. And they'd be despised in the nations they went. Right now, guys, just the last couple weeks, New York, Arizona in our country, Los Angeles, there's been anti-Semitism and violence against Jews. And it's rising up more and more. We're seeing Palestinian flags in LA being in cars and people going after Jews. Right in our own backyard, guys. Even in Idaho, it's horrible. Just kidding, guys. I haven't heard about that in Idaho yet. <laughs> but man, it's crazy stuff that's going on. And it's biblical. It's biblical. The Lord promised in Jeremiah 31, 35, and 36, thus says the Lord who gives the son, because you know what? <laughs> you want to know how to destroy Israel? If Hamas listens, I will give them the recipe to destroy Israel right now. If they really want to know the secret on how to destroy Israel, because they're not going to do it right the way they're doing it, this is what they have to do. They have to first destroy the universe. I'd let the secret out. But listen to what it says in Jeremiah 31, 35 and 36. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name, Yahweh. If this fixed order departs, sun, moon, stars, solar system, all that. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. There you, there's the answer. Can't do it. In other words, God is in control and you cannot fight against God. You're a wimp compared to just one of his smallest angels. Fight against God, you're nothing. 
You're less than tissue paper before a flamethrower because he's a consuming fire. Mark Twain, all things are mortal but the Jews. All of the forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? Thus saith the Lord, the word of God. God is faithful to his promises. Aren't you glad that we have a God who's faithful? And he, that means he's faithful to us because he's not partial, he says. Salvation is to the Jew first because it came, the message to the Jew first. But it says Jew first, but also the Greek, that God's without partiality. He wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So you can destroy the sun, all the stars, then you have a chance. So we see this world hatred. We see the history of hatred against, go through Genesis to Revelation, man. Was well, Genesis 3 and Abraham being called, remember Balak? He went to the king. He wanted to destroy the Israelites. And they were in this huge cross formation of maybe 3 million people or so with the middle of the cross as a people because according to their tribes, they were positioned. But if you're looking up from a mountaintop, you see a huge cross with the tabernacle in the middle, the smoke going up over the sacrifice. All a picture of what Jesus would do for those people. And Balak hired him, hired Balaam, the prophet, who made true prophecies even about the coming Messiah. But he was enticed by money uh, to sell out. And he told Balaam, and Balak brought up to the mountain, they're looking down. Balak's like, let's destroy them, you know? And Balaam, every time he tried to prophesy a destruction, it boomeranged, it would be a blessing. And King Balak's like, what? What are you doing? Ah! He's, I mean, he, says he clapped his hands. He's like, what are you doing? And then the scriptures tell us he taught him, he taught King Balak, here's how you destroy them. In fact, Jesus summed it up in his message to the church at Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2. After he commends the church of Pergamos for certain wonderful things happening in their church, he says, uh, he says, but I have a few things against you because you have there them, some that hold to the uh, teaching of or the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, the king, right? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So that's what he said, send your women over, have them bat their eyes and seduce the guys to come out of that cross formation and say cross formation, but that's what they were doing and have sex with the women and they'll then have them whip out their idols and say, hey, let's be together, let's be one, let's worship these gods. And, and that worked with some of them. But they weren't able to, he wasn't able to destroy Israel, not, not as, as a whole. Pharaoh, remember he tried to kill the Jewish children? Remember that? Uh, Haman, you've read the book of Esther? What's Haman's goal? To destroy every last Jew. There's even an edict that's made with Persia, right? And the Medes to destroy all the Jews. And Haman ends up hanging on his own gallows, right? Over and over again, there's two different Roman conquests against Israel, both killing a million or so people. One million or more, one about a million. But they were annihilated, amen? Then there was a the Nazi Holocaust, which we've just talked about. Hitler wanted every last Jew annihilated. Uh, now there's this genocidal thing going on with a lot of the Muslims who want to destroy Israel. And these guys are in close proximity. It's not just one nation, Germany. It's all kinds of nations, you know. And there has just been persecution in Spain against the Jews. You can read about that. Persecution throughout different parts of Europe to this day. And there's this ongoing genocidal mentality many people have. I mean, if you've ever seen some of the Nazis that are neo-Nazis on the internet, they, they just have this, this curdling, blood-curdling hatred toward the Jews with Nazis and Muslims. It's still here, guys. But God keeps his promises. Amen? He keeps his promises. Go to Romans chapter 11, verse 1. 
in the New Testament. And let's see what the New Testament says. For those who say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, guess what? When God says he can preserve a people, right? And he gives them land forever. He hasn't rescinded those, prom- rescinded those promises. In fact, in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, and he's talking about how the, the, the uh, Jews rejected the Messiah. He quotes Isaiah in chapter 10, verse 20. Just back up a couple verses. He says, and Isaiah is very bold, verse 20, and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So Paul's explaining why the gospel, that God had a plan to go to the Gentiles, that Israel would reject their Messiah. But he also wants to get them to understand he's not done with Israel. But he stretched the imagination. Because look at the very next verse, chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people. What? Has he? Question mark. May it never be! Exclamation point. Not in the Greek, there's no exclamation point, but good, good place to put it in English. May it never be. Paul says, For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people. Verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scriptures say? That's what I want to say to the Amil that rejects Israel and God's future for them, to the preterists. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone have left. And they are seeking my life. But when, but what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He always has a remnant. And he goes on later to talk about how all Israel will be saved. So it's just mind-boggling to me that somebody would say otherwise. In fact, uh, we would expect to regather in Israel based on biblical prophecies because we have many that talk about how they would be in unbelief. Now, this is a, there's a problem here. And Chad, I covered this in the podcast that will be airing this week in more depth. But uh, when we talked about Israel as a nation, some that are evangelical look at what Bible prophecy says about Israel and says, yeah, I'm not going to look at it through replacement theology lenses where we are Israel now and we get all the promises, which, by the way, is so selfish. In fact, Romans chapter 11 warns about that, warns about getting a chosen person complex that were the chosen people and God's done with Israel. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But... It actually warns about that. But the, some evangelicals, leaders in prophecy and so forth, they'll say, well, this kind of threw a wrench when Israel became a nation in 1948, May 14th. They believed Israel would become a nation again and be regathered because they understood the prophecies to a degree, but they were perplexed. Wait a minute. This isn't supposed to happen until after the tribulation period, until after their discipline and the tribulation takes place, which is called Jacob's trouble. And then, so Israel's not supposed to exist until after that. And then when they're disciplined, God brings them back at the end to start the millennial kingdom. And now there's truth to that, that there will be a regathering that's radical beyond what it is now after the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation. Yeah, that's true. But they didn't expect it. It's also true. It's also biblical that God would start bringing them back in the land before that time. Because keep in mind, for the Antichrist to set himself up in the temple of God and make himself as God, show himself as being God in the middle of the tribulation, that means there would have to be a what? A temple. That means Israel would have to be regathered, right? Amen? Now, that's just a logical deduction, but guess what? We have clear scripture because they think, no, Israel's regathered when they come to believe in Messiah. Yeah, they will be radically so. That will be one stage of the regathering, but the scriptures also speak of an earlier stage 
Well, where does it say they'd be brought in in unbelievers? Because they don't believe, they didn't accept Christ as Messiah in their back land. It doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense. Because the Lord God says that first he would bring them back into the land in a state of unbelief. Thus saith the scripture. Okay? In fact, go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 24. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 for I will take you from the nations, which he's done, not just a nation, not just Assyria or not just Babylon, but the nations because there'd be a worldwide scattering eventually. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. So he's going to do that, right? Verse 24, right? I'm going to do that then. When's then? When's the conjunction happen? After he's what? Brought them back into that land, in their land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your what? Idols. When does he cleanse them from all their filthiness and all their idols? After they've what? Been brought back where? Into their land. These guys are brought back as non-converts to Christ. In fact, they're still Buddhists. They're still worshiping new age gods. They're still communists, background, some of them, Marxists, socialists, atheists. I'll bring you back then, verse 25, and if you have a translation that doesn't have the word then there in English, it's because they're missing the conjunction in the Hebrew. Okay? Because I verify that that's actually there. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 28. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. They'll be born again. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, when he brings it back to land, they'll still have a heart of stone. Are you with me? Amen. Don't you love Bible prophecy? Amen. I mean, isn't it beautiful that we can actually open God's word and we can see, wow, this is exactly what happened, exactly what God said would happen. Amen? But you can have a picture in your head of what's supposed to happen and get messed up and get confused, like the Amils, the Preterists, and even some evangelicals that believe in prophecy in Israel. If you don't pay close attention to all the scriptures on a subject. So it's very, very important that we understand this. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 37, he talks about the valley of dry bones, you know, and about how the, you know, the leg bone was connected to the, and I'm not going to sing the song, don't worry, you know. But he talks about, he brings him to see, and I was going to read that. I read this in our, on our podcast, but I won't go into that in such detail as I went into that. I'm going to other detail that I don't go into the podcast here, though, because I don't want to be the same exact messages. But uh, he talks about, he brings Ezekiel into a valley of dry bones and he talks about how, you know, look, and he says to prophesy all these bones and he prophesies and in stages, it's a picture of them coming back in the land of Israel. And he says, these dry bones that are coming back, this is Israel coming back into the land from the different nations. Mind boggling. Okay, because the Lord explains the vision if you continue throughout that, that chapter. And he also tells them that they will be persecuted. And he says, he will actually use persecution. I mentioned this in our podcast that you would be able to hear coming up, but I didn't go to the scripture. He says that he used persecution to bring them back in the land. Guess what God's using right now to bring Israelis back to the land? They're being persecuted all over the world. And guess what? They're finding more and more Muslim hostility in Europe than they do have found historically in places in the Middle East under the Muslims. It's quite crazy. And they're getting persecuted now here. And guess what happens? 
You, over and over again, you see Jews going back to land. God uses persecution. But in Jeremiah 16, 14 through 18, he says he'd use persecution. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will be no longer said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So it's no longer he said, wow, he brought us from the land of Egypt. It'll be said what? As the Lord lives, who brought us the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from the countries where he had banished them. Like all kinds, hundreds of thousands of Jews have come from millions actually, but hundreds of thousands from Russia, you know, from the north. For I restore them to their own land. For I will restore them to their own land. For I will restore them to their own land. And the land of Israel is called Israel and Jerusalem hundreds of times, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am going to send many fishermen. Okay, these aren't fishermen, like nice fishermen. These are fishermen that want to eat their prey. Fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will fish for them. And afterwards, I will send many hunters. And these aren't hunters that will just want to just pet an animal they catch. These are killers. And they will hunt them from every mountain and every hill, from the clefts of the rocks. See, you know what? When he's bringing them back into the land, which he just said he will, he's going to use hunters and fishermen to push them out of those lands. For my eyes, verse 17, are on their ways, and they are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. I will first doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land, and they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable idols and with their abominations. Now, it's interesting. Even in recent history, I went through some of the biblical history of persecution and a little bit of the you know, Nazi Holocaust, but you had the Russian uh, pogroms, uh, and then the Soviet oppression, they've been persecuted, they've been fished, they've been hunted by everybody. Uh, Muslim and Arabic hatred, Polish economic favoritism, escalating European anti-Semitism. We mentioned the Nazi genocidal Holocaust, the current anti-Semitism all over the world, which we've been talking about, uh, and the fact that Israel's descendants would be like a wild donkey, you know, uh, under that spirit of Antichrist and so forth. And this is just mind-boggling when we see all these things taking place. But, you know, go to Zechariah. Chapter 13, God will allow also Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period when Antichrist sets himself up in the temple to discipline Israel and also to test the church. And it says that he uses persecution to make us like gold. And the scriptures are very, very clear uh, that he says that he'll gather them and, and blow them with fire, the fire of my wrath, and you will be melted in the midst of it. That's another passage that I'm quoting right there, not the one I just told you to go to. And that would be to give you the specific verses, 17 through 22 of Ezekiel 22. And then we read in verses 8 and 9 of Ezekiel chapter 13, it will come about in all that land, in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish. So two-thirds of Israel is going to be destroyed at the end because the nations are going to come against it and the Antichrist is going to rule. And I will bring a third part through the fire, verse 9. Refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. So Israel is not, is not bowing the knee. They're brought in a state of unbelief into the land. I've proven that from Ezekiel chapter 34. Then he uses the persecution called Jacob's trouble during the tribulation period where Jesus said there'll be greater tribulation at that time than there ever was before or ever will be after. It's going to be a gnarly time for the whole earth. But two-thirds of Israel will be wiped out and perish. The other third will be tested and, be, and come forth like gold and silver, purified. And they'll cry out to the Lord. That's where the purification ultimately comes. They'll cry out. They'll be purified by the blood of Christ. 
No, finally, crowd of the Lord. Right now, Israel's relying on a lot of the arms and military might and, and money that comes from the United States. And they're incredibly brilliant people, so they've got a lot of their own warfare as well. But guess what? You're not supposed to rely on the chariots. You're supposed to rely on the one true God. And they'll finally cry out to me because they realize we're dust. We're going to be wiped out totally. And they'll cry out for the Messiah. They'll cry out for Yahweh. And guess what we read? <laughs> well, go to Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 2. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes ruling and all the peoples around. Verse 2. When they, the siege is against Jerusalem, and it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples, and all who lift it will be severely injured, and the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Wow. We see these things, the, the, the birth pains of this right now. Go, please, to verse 8. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day, I will set about to destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem. And all the nations will surround Israel. Verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. They need grace, man. Because they can't keep the law. We've all failed. And of supplication. So that they will look on me. So they will look on me whom they have what? Whom they have pierced. They're going to look on, they're going to cry out, Messiah, God send the Messiah, Yahweh. And Yahweh will appear. And John says in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, 7, Behold, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, the Jews. And all kings of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. And here it says, in the Old Testament, I read this to Jews sometimes. Look, they will look upon me whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. That's interesting language, right? And they will weep bitterly for him, like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. And then it goes on to mention Megiddo, verse 11, the different tribes of Israel. Then chapter 13, verse 1 says, in that day, a fountain will be opened to them for what? For the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for what? For sin and for impurity. At that moment, a nation will be born in a day, the Bible says, and they'll be cleansed. Go to Revelation or Romans chapter 11 quickly. And when you get to Romans chapter 11, you'll read in verses 18 through 22 that don't say that you've been grafted in as a Gentile branch, an unnatural branch, and look, I'm chosen now. I'm, 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 it's about me now. And forget, and forget that you are part of a tree that started with the patriarchs, that started with the Jews, and that God has not done with Israel. In fact, it's quite interesting uh, when you read uh, Romans chapter 11, go please to verse 20, 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed. And I've always told you when it says, don't be ignorant and airy, don't be deceived and airy, don't be uninformed. That's where the church is most ignorant, uninformed, and deceived. For I do not want you to be, uh, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that partial hardening has happened to Israel. Until what? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the nations have heard the gospel and the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then he says, verse 26, and so all Israel will be what? All Israel will be saved, as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion, that's Jesus. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is the covenant which I made with them when I take away their sins. Catch that? It all fits together like a puzzle. Verse 26. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies. Yeah, the Jews are enemies of the gospel. They're blinded right now. There's a veil over their eyes. And that's why they're going to be bawling like babies when they see the one they pierce. And like, oh, it's Jesus. It was Jesus all along, you know. And from the gospel, they are enemies from the standpoint of the gospel for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and callings of God are unrepentant, as it says in the King James, 
or irrevocable. Praise God. So, and what did Jesus say? He said, your house, because you're going to reject him just before he's crucified, will be left to you desolate. He said, you won't see me again until you say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a cry for Messiah. And they're going to be crying out for him because they now can't rely on their military might. They can't rely on the United States. And all this siege will take place and two-thirds will be wiped out. They'll be crying out to him. And then he'll come in the clouds and they'll see the one they've pierced. And they'll see the one that they, along with the nations, our, all of our sin fell upon him. And they'll weep and they'll cry saying, wow, is this the one? And you know what's heavy, guys? There's so much I'm skipping that's in our podcast. It's a two-part podcast next week if you want to check it out. But I've added so much to you that you're getting. And one thing I didn't share in that podcast, which I think is so cool, is uh, Ted Walker and I, you know, it says they'd be brought back from the north. It says the Gentile nations would bring them. And there's these ships filled with Jews, huge ships. I go, the first time I went to Israel, Ted brings me down to the port of Haifa. We go onto these ships where there's Jews that are Russian Jews migrating from Russia, the north, to Israel. And we're there. And we're sharing prophecies with them. I'm sharing Bible prophecies. Look, it says, you know, what would happen? That God would use the Gentiles to bring you back. And here we are. And they're just like, they're from Russia. They're like, come back to the land. I'm showing them the Bible, the word of God. And you know what Ted has? Some of these, he brings a daughter onto his shoulders of one of these groups. And he says, yeah, it says we'd bring you back, the Gentiles. And she's up there, this little girl on his shoulders. And we're talking to his family. We're witnessing to him. And I want you to go. I have to skip pages, otherwise uh, we'd be in real trouble. Go to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. And now it's interesting. Look at chapter 49 and look what the Lord says. Look at verse 14. But Zion said... The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has for, uh, forgotten me. Really? No, the Lord says he hasn't. The sun and the moon and the stars are still here. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have, compassion on, and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Look at verse 19. For your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land, surely now... You will too, surely now, I got this fly, Beelzebub, get away from me in the name of Jesus. <laughs> surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants, and those who swallow you up will be far away. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to bring children of Israel back to the land, so much so where it's going to be cramped, there's going to be so many Jews brought back. And look what he says in verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations. That's the Gentiles. What are you going to do through the Gentiles, Lord? And set my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom. And your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. So Ted was illustrating, putting one of their daughters. It says that God would use us to bring you back to the land. And he has one of these little girls on his shoulders. It's so beautiful. Ted, not knowing a month ago that I was going to be preaching this message and knowing what was going to happen with Hamas and everything going on, sends me a text a few weeks back, a month ago or so. And he says, I met this family that we ministered to on, one of the, on the ship. And he said, and I have a picture. I talked to them and found out they found, they found Messiah. They're following Yeshua now. They're following Jesus. 
So beautiful, amen? So beautiful. And it just blows me away because it's what the scriptures say. And then the last thing I'll share with you really quickly, because what I shared on that ship, not only did the prophet say we'd bring you back, but the prophet said that the Messiah will be recognized one day by the Jews. You'll see him when they pierce. And I shared with him Isaiah 53, because this is other prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. And look at Isaiah 53. Who, verse 1, who has believed our message? To whom has arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He was no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. Remember it says in John chapter 1, he came to his own, but his own received him not. And this is in the Old Testament. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. Notice it's in past tense verbs. Why is it in the past tense? Because this is what the Jews will be saying when they see the one who was pierced. They'll be saying, look, we rejected him, thinking he was despised, thinking he wasn't from God, not knowing that this was a part of God's plan the whole time. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Because it's in the future, them looking back in the past after they see the one that they pierced, realizing they rejected their Messiah. This is in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. When they hit Isaiah 53 in synagogue, they skip it for a good reason because it's about Messiah and that's a bad reason really. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We thought God was against him. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way because they came back to the land in unbelief. But the Lord has caused the iniquities all to fall on him. And it goes on and on through the whole chapter, even the end of chapter 52 about his resurrection. Amazing prophecy, guys. What an amazing God we have. Never doubt his word. The God who is faithful to Israel. The God who sent his son for those who rejected him. Sent him for us as well. And yeah, we're sinners. We have huge problems. We have problems that need to be solved in our hearts and it's only by his grace. And praise God, he is graceful and full of mercy and patient and he's faithful, amen? He's faithful. Is the sun shining today? He's faithful. That's a picture of how he continues to shine and offer you his love and his grace, amen? And he's faithful to keep his promises. If you've fallen short of God's glory, you're like, man, Joe, I'm going through tough times. You need to repent and confess your sins and plead the blood of Christ. Say, God, have mercy on me through what Jesus did on the cross, and you'll be forgiven of your sins. If you don't know Jesus, you need to turn to Jesus right now. This is the one true God. He's revealed himself. You have to want to deny him and ignore the prophecies that prove he exists. Deep down, we all know God exists. And deep down, if you're honest, you look at these prophecies, there's no way this could be an accident or a coincidence. And I've only given you a small fraction of the prophecy about Israel. If you have not been saved yet, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ now and say, God, have mercy on me. And understand, he died on the cross to pay the penalty you deserve for, because of your sin. He paid for my sin, and he rose again to conquer death. That The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do that now and make sure you're right with Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand.